0: Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. For those of you that don't know, I've shared a little bit of my story along the way. We share it at Next Steps, but somewhere around between kindergarten and the first grade, uh, I had the wonderful opportunity to hear the life changing message of Jesus. And, and I gave my life to the Lord. Um, I, I rode the bus to school, and a lady by the name of Miss, uh, Miss Rose drove the school bus, And then one Sunday morning, my mom um, was a barmaid, so she didn't get home from work until 3 or 4 sometimes in the morning. And so when I woke up, I needed to get out of the house because if I woke her up, uh, I was threatened with my life, okay? You know, mama's in sleep, you know, I can't blame them. And so I was out on the sidewalk playing literally with a broom handle and a smashed Coca-Cola can, kicking it around. And Miss Rose, who drove my school bus, pulled up in a church van and asked me if I wanted to go to church. Now, up to that point, I had never even heard of a thing called church. I didn't know church, never heard the word God, never heard about Jesus, didn't know the first thing about anything spiritual. To give you a little background, my mom, no one in her family tree had ever served God. My dad, no one in his family tree had ever even darkened the doors of a church. Nowhere as far as we can see as far as history, detective work we've done. And so my dad was a one-percenter outlaw biker. My mom was a barmaid. You can fill in the blanks what kind of lifestyle that was. How many know what I'm talking about, right? And so I'd never heard of Jesus. But Miss Rose asked me if I wanted to go to church, and I thought, well, I'll give it a whirl. It's better than kicking around this Coca-Cola can, right? I went to church. I can't remember a lot about church, but here's what I do remember. I remember a a gray-haired man wearing a gray suit standing on teal shag carpet thank God we've been delivered from those days he was standing behind a big wooden pulpit he preached a message I don't remember but when he got to the end of it he said something like this he said God would be a father to the fatherless my mom and dad had just divorced and I hadn't seen my dad in probably a year maybe more The night that he left was very traumatic to me because my dad was my best friend and I remember us doing a lot of great things and I couldn't understand how come now I wasn't even allowed to say the word dad in my house, wasn't allowed to talk about him, wasn't allowed to ask where he went and so I was mad at him, I was mad at my mom, I was confused. But I was hearing about a God that would be a father to the fatherless and a friend that would never leave us or never forsake us. And that preacher at the end then, after he said that, he said, if you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. On the count of three, how many know kids' innocence sometimes is a wonderful thing, right? I didn't care if anybody else raised their hand. I knew I wanted a father. I knew I wanted somebody that would never leave me or forsake me. I didn't have the first clue what a life, uh, living a life for Jesus looked like, but I knew that I wanted Jesus right then. And somewhere around six years old, I shot my hand up in the air, and he said, if you raised your hand and you meant it, I had my eyes closed so tight because the preacher said, close your eyes. Some of you could learn from that anyway. And he said, if you're serious about that, I want you to stand up where you are. And the organ started playing, just as I am. How many remember those days? Come on, come on, Billy Graham. You know what I'm saying? And, and man, I jetted down there. Man, I booked down there like I was going to get like cookies and milk or something. And I prayed that prayer and asked Jesus into my heart. And I can't remember that moment, like if anything spectacular happened on the inside. But I'm standing before you today to say that I have served God every day since then. I've never turned my back on God, and God has never turned His back on me, and it was the best decision I've ever made. Right, everybody? Um, I went to church by myself mostly as a kid. I would call churches that had bus ministries because we moved all around, and they would take me to church. But for a little while, one of my mom's ex-party friends had gotten remarried and saved, and so I'd go to their house on Friday night, and they would take us to church for family uh, fun night, they didn't have a children's ministry like us, though. But anyway, they, uh, they took us to church on family uh, fun night on Friday. We spent the day Saturday. We went to church with them on Sunday. And every night before Rich would put us to bed, he'd read us a little Bible story. And he'd sing us a little children's uh, Christian song. And the word of God began to take root in my life. And then somewhere along the way, I started praying for my mom. And on the verge of suicide, um, at when I was 11 years old, the church that I was attending rang the doorbell and that night led my mom to the Lord. Come on, everybody, right? And then I prayed for my dad for 45 years. What I didn't know is when he said goodbye to me, I didn't know that I wouldn't see him again until I was a father myself. And I prayed for his salvation for 45 years. An atheist father that had a rough life and had no reason in on the earth to understand love and understand how to put his trust in God. So for 45 years, I prayed for my father. And just about a year before he passed, he passed during COVID, about a year before he passed, I have the wonderful opportunity of seeing God finally answer that prayer as I knelt beside him at his wheelchair on his outside porch and my father grabbed my hands and he repeated after me father God father God and he asked Jesus to be his Lord and Savior come on everybody now watch this that's amazing grace Ah, uh, Cece, I told you you weren't ready for this. I said, that's amazing grace because I think about it all the time. I always get emotional about it, and I had to practice this morning because I was a crying fool last night when I tried to tell it in Next Step. After all these years, after 50 years, I still get emotional because somehow in God's sovereignty and in God's grace, he reached down. I didn't know God. I didn't know where to find God. I didn't even know there was a God, and he reached down in a messed-up family tree, and somehow grabbed a hold of me and gave me the opportunity to hear about his wonderful grace and break a generational curse and make something out of a life that I know where it could have been outside of the grace of Jesus Christ that's amazing grace Come on, that's amazing grace. The fact that he saved my mom right in time before she ended her life, that's amazing grace. The fact that he saved my dad just months before he he spent eternity without Christ, that's amazing grace. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to do this series because I want to remind you that this is our message. Amazing grace is our message. Amazing grace is why we're here today. Come on. Without this message, we don't have a message. Outside of grace, we don't have a message. And the grace message is all because of Jesus. And that's why I stand up here and say, it is all about Jesus. It's about nothing else. It's not about our dogma. It's not about our agenda. It's about Jesus and His amazing grace. Can I get an amen in the house, right? It's my contention, however, that many don't really live fully in Jesus, and in grace. Most of the issues that as a pastor I deal with, it's those that are trying to live for Jesus, but they have what I call a mixture. They're living a little bit with the law and the demands of the law, and a little bit with this grace, and they've mixed the two together And they know they're on their way to heaven. But the problem is is that in the meantime, while they're waiting for the bus to pick them up, they live under a lot of guilt and a lot of condemnation and sometimes under addictions that they just can't break. So my prayer is if we get a real revelation, not grace as a doctrine, not grace as a churchy word, but if we'll get a revelation of being in grace and in Christ I believe there's going to be some major victories over this next month of time together. So let's start right here with this. Let's go. John chapter number 1. This series, I'm going to bring a lot of scripture to you, because it's interesting that people want to argue about grace. And so I'm going to give you a whole lot of scripture, all right? Let's just start here with what looks like a simple verse, but it has some complex layers to it. In John chapter number one, verse number 17, here's what it says. It says that the law was given through Moses." So the law. So in Scripture, when you see Moses, he oftentimes represents the law. That's why Moses couldn't bring them into the promised land, because keeping the law will never get you to heaven. That's why we needed Joshua to bring him into the promised land, because Joshua is an Old Testament picture of who Jesus is, and we need Jesus, and we need grace to be in the promised land, into heaven, right? All right, that was a little extra. That's not in the notes. You can have that for free. All right, everybody? So watch this, the law was given through Moses. Watch this though, grace and truth came. It wasn't delivered, grace came to live with us. Mm, So that he could be touched with the feelings of our infirmities because it can't be grace if he can't be touched by what we are touched by. Come on. And so the law was given through Moses, impersonal, but grace came—grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, personal. He brought the message, so the message is grace. One of the f- things that I find interesting and I want you to notice is that, that the law was given, but grace came through Jesus. That's important. Here's another thing I want you to notice. I want you to notice that truth, look where truth is. For the law was given through Moses, period, or, comma, or, but grace, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I want you to notice something here. Uh, this might sound insignificant, but I want to, I, I really just today, I want to build the foundation for the weeks to come. I want you to notice that truth is on the side of grace. Mm-hmm. That's important. It's important as we go and you'll start connecting the dots. But I want you to notice that truth is on the side of grace because the Bible says, "And you shall know the truth. Who is the truth? Jesus is the truth. Jesus is grace. Grace and truth are on the same side." And and the reason that truth is on the side of grace and why that's important is because the Bible tells us in John chapter number 8, verse number 32, that you shall know the truth and the truth is what will set you free. When you get a revelation of grace, It will set you free from the things that you cannot accomplish in your flesh. Come on now. Are you with me? And that's what finding freedom is all about. We got it on our wall. One of the goals we have for you is to help you find freedom. Have you ever met a Christian that loves God with all their heart, but they're still living in some kind of bondage? A bondage to an addiction? A bondage to a a mood? A temperament? A broken emotion? An addiction? A substance addiction or something like that? We're not really finding freedom when we're trying to do it by the law. We begin to be set free of condemnation when we live in grace and in Jesus. I'll show you that through Scripture in just a moment. Um, And without realizing it, I'm not throwing stones, but I want to bring some revelation Without realizing it, some churches, not all churches, but how many of you are mature enough to know just because it says God on the outside doesn't mean God's showing up on the inside. So some churches and some Christians, maybe not on purpose, what happens is we try to live in both. We try to live a little bit by doing, and we try to live a little bit in grace. Usually it sounds something like this. We get saved by grace but then we got to work our butts off to stay saved or we're not going to make it to heaven. And so we get controlled. And through that, condemnation comes. And, and um, when I grew up in church, I used to hear old time preachers say something like this. They'd say, well, you have to rightly divide the word of God. Anybody ever heard that term? Anybody in turn? Yeah, a handful of you have. Last night, I was surprised. It, it was like 50% of the crowd. Yeah, they've heard that. So growing up, I used to hear old-time preachers when we would use a verse out of context or something like that. They'd say, well, you've got to rightly divide the Word of God. And I always thought that was interesting. I never dove into what that meant. I just thought he was saying, you've got to know your Scripture and understand the Word of God. But know what they were really preaching and what we need to understand and what you and I need to do is we need to watch this, rightly divide the word of God. Ah. ah did did you get it? rightly divide. what you can't see is i just i put my marker in my bible right at matthew 1 there is an old testament and there is a new testament and we got to quit trying to live mixing them together and trying for one to mean something that it wasn't supposed to mean and the other to mean something it was never supposed to mean we have to divide the word of god ah, some of you are already nervous because you got a religious spirit on you but we're going to break it off all right And we gotta we gotta divide the word of God because the Old Testament and the New Testament, watch this. The Old Testament is the Old Covenant of the Law. The New Testament is the New Covenant of grace. Aren't you glad today? In fact, I wish that when people first get saved, we could hide the Old Testament from them for at least a year until we get them discipled in the understanding of who Jesus is and the grace that he says. And then we could start talking about chopping heads off and people dying and giants dying and all that kind of stuff. Come on now, right? Now, the Bible tells us, Paul, Timothy tells us that all Scripture is profitable, so that's not what I'm saying. But the Hebrew, this, the Old Testament is the Hebrew Scripture written for a people group. That doesn't mean we can't learn from it. That doesn't mean we throw it away. It means we have to accurately use this side and use this side. We don't use a hammer for every problem. Come on, everybody. Now, there's great principles in here. Matter of fact, next week I'm going to preach on the Ark of the Covenant out of the Old Testament, and I'm going to show you grace all over the Ark of the Covenant next week. But we have to rightly divide the Word. Otherwise, what happens is we try to live with a mixture of both, not understanding either, and that's why so many Christians live under this guilt, condemnation, failure mindset, I'll never get over this, because you're partly under the law, and you're partly under grace. And, and the Old Testament law declares who man ought to be. But the New Testament grace reveals who God is. Would you rather get a picture of who you are or who God is? Come on now. The Old Testament law says that sins are remembered and punished. The New Testament grace says sins are forgiven and remembered no more. What side do you want to live on? Come on, right? I want you to notice something. This will come into play a little bit later. When you open your Bibles, this is just a little fun. This is on the left side. The Old Testament's on the left side. The New Testament's on the right side. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But let's make a few comparisons real quick. So in the Old Testament, we got Moses. Moses. You know the story. How many of you have seen the Ten Commandments? Come on, everybody's seen the Ten Commandments. How many remember when Charlton Heston, known as Moses, goes up the mountain, gets the Ten Commandments, has an encounter with God, right? I've said it before, he goes up there looking like a shepherd. He gets an encounter with God, comes down looking like one of the Bee Gees. How many know, right? <laughs> I mean, all of a sudden he's glowing, got feathered hair, sparkles all over him. ha, ha. You know, I just—I don't even know what's going on with him. And, and so he goes up there, and he gets the Ten Commandments. He has this encounter with God, and he comes into Pharaoh's court. Now watch this, Old Testament, New Testament, watch. Old Testament, under the law, under Moses, Moses shows up into Pharaoh's court, and the first miracle that is worked under the Old Testament is the turning water into blood, resulting in death. Fast forward with me, and we'll see Jesus. Ah, We see Jesus, his first miracle under grace, turning water not into blood, but water into wine, not resulting in death, but resulting in celebration and life. What side are you going to live on? Are you guys hearing that today? And there's something more. He says something else about, and he saves the best wine for last. Ladies and gentlemen, we are living in the season of the best wine. We're living in the season of the best grace. We're living under the grace dispensation. And if you get a revelation of how much God loves you and that he forgave you, wow, come on. It changes from I have to do something to I get to do something. Second Corinthians. Paul talks about this to the church of Corinth. He says, And he has made us competent as ministers of the new covenant. Right? The new covenant. The new covenant. The covenant of grace. He's made us, he's made us competent ministers. Oh, wait a minute. i got to mess with this. I could see question marks floating over your heads. We are ministers of the gospel. When we go out and minister with the old covenant... When we, sometimes it looks like picket signs. When we go at, sometimes it looks like social media posts. Sometimes it looks like preaching with a finger in the face. Mm-hmm. When we go preaching as ministers of the law, it does not bring life. It pushes people away from this amazing message. It makes people say, I never want to be a part of this thing called the church. But Paul says he made us competent competent is a key word that's why we need to teach on grace because we need to be competent as ministers of a new covenant we need to be competent ministers of grace everybody come on grace won't push people away from God grace helps people understand how much God loves them no matter how much they've messed up and don't act like you didn't need that love because we needed it also right Right, right. And watch this. None of the letter, but of the Spirit. In other words, let me translate: none of the letter of the law, but of the Spirit of grace. We're not supposed to, watch this, we're not supposed to be ministering the letter of the law. We're supposed to be competent ministers of the spirit of grace. Come on, that's our code word for a life-giving church. How many know there's a big difference between walking into a church that's beating you up with the law and you leave feeling worse about yourself than when you came in to coming into an environment of grace that's life-giving and you feel like you could invade hell with a water pistol? You know what I'm saying, right? Okay. Okay. For the letter kills. It says it right there. For the letter kills, but the Spirit, but grace, it gives life. Furthermore, Jesus steps on the scene. Now watch this. We got the Old Testament, Old Covenant law. Jesus steps on the scene, New Covenant of grace. The first few chapters until the cross were not fully in the dispensation of grace yet because some of what Jesus teaches, he's pointing back to the Old Testament, but he's setting us up for the dispensation of grace that does not happen until after the cross. Okay. Now hold on, let me let some of you that have grown up in church off the hook. I'm not saying the law is not important, but you're going to have to give me three or four weeks to work all that out. So just set that aside. Don't be defensive about this. I'm not saying the law is not important, but that's not the pathway to salvation. Watch this. It's not even the pathways to victory and blessings in our life. Okay, thank you, honey, for agreeing with me. I appreciate that, all right? Because even Jesus shows up on the scene, and, and Jesus begins to say, hey, guys, I want to tell you, you got to be careful. I'm getting ready to introduce a new wine to you, mm, the best wine. I'm getting ready to introduce it, and you got to be careful that you don't take this new wine called grace and try to pour it into an old wineskin called religion. Ah, Come on now. Jesus says it in Matthew chapter something or another. Matthew chapter number nine. It says, Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. Why? Watch this, everybody. If they do, the skin will burst. If we try to take this wonderful message of grace and we try to pour it into the religious, the religious and legalistic wineskins of traditional church. Come on. How many know the message of grace gets wasted? And spilled out when we are trying to be legalistic in religion in our social, in our Christian gatherings. The message of grace is wasted when we try to preach grace, but we also mix it with all these rules that you can and can't do, or you can't be in our circle, you can't be in our club if you don't look like, talk like, act like, sing like, pray like we do. I told you I was ready for you today. Come on, are you guys ready? Right? All right, and and, and so if you do, it it will be wasted. Let me give you one more thing, a comparison. Um, When Moses was up on that mountain and he got the Ten Commandments, remember you said you watched the Ten Commandments, remember? Remember BG's getting the Ten Commandments? He gets the Ten Commandments. He comes down the mountain. Now, hold on, let me back up because some of you know what happens. Fifty days prior to him getting the Ten Commandments was a day called Passover. Anybody remember? you seen the movie? You don't even have to read your Bible, but you seen the movie? Okay, on the movie, remember Moses shows up and says, let my people go, Pharaoh says, not a chance. He said, okay, frogs are going to be in your house tonight. All right, woo, and it was terrible. And then it was going to be locusts, and then the water and the blo- all the stuff. But the last of the ten plagues was the death angel will come, and the firstborn of every house shall be dead. Except if you take an innocent lamb, you shed its blood. Come on, anybody know this? And puts the blood over the doorpost. It's called the day of Passover. I grew up in church singing, If I see the blood, if I see the blood. Come on, anybody know that? Is it too old-fashioned for you? I will pass, I will pass over you. And it's the same thing. If he sees the blood, he will pass over, and the firstborn of that house shall not die. It's called the Passover. Fast forward 50 days. 50 days from Passover is another celebration In the Christian calendar called the day of Pentecost. Pentecost, pente, five, 50 days, Pentecost. 50 days after Moses was up here getting the law. Or excuse me, 50 days after the Passover, Moses is up getting the law. Follow this. He comes down the mountainside with the law. That's so symbolic. He's coming from a high place down to where the people are. And the people are living in sin, aren't they? Come on, you know what they're doing. They're dancing crazy around the golden calf, right? And he throw, in the movie, he throws the Ten Commandments down. It's this big scene. But here's what I want you to know if you read the rest of that story. In Exodus chapter number 32, he comes down off the mountain with the law on the day of Pentecost. And 3,000 people die that day under the judgment of the law that he just brought down. That's some Old Testament wacko stuff that we have a hard time understanding. So let's not live over there in the Old Testament. Let's come over here and live under the New Testament. And let's watch Jesus on the day of Passover hang on a cross and die for our sins. And he tells his disciples, I'm going to go apply the blood in heaven. Revelations chapter number 5. And 50 days later, they were gathered in an upper room. Come on, somebody. Mm -hmm. and the Holy Spirit descended upon him Acts chapter number 2 Peter got up the one that had just failed Peter got up and he preached a gospel and 3,000 people didn't die on that day of Pentecost but the new, new grace the new testament the new covenant 50 days after Passover Peter got up and 3,000 people came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior come on come on you guys are you hearing that today? Let me give you one more little thing. This is just fun. I'll just give you this extra, all right? If you look at the difference, if, if you take this Bible and you open it right down the middle, if you rightly divide it, I'm not saying, please don't go out of here saying it's not important. It's important. But I want you to know grace before you know law. Okay? And, and so if you look at the very last word, it, it's a book called Malachi. Wait wait a minute, let me, see, let me put my glasses on, I'm not sure. Oh, oh, Malachi, I'm sorry, Malachi, yeah, Malachi. It's a book called Malachi, and the very last word in the Old Testament is the word cursed. The very first word that Jesus preaches in the New Covenant. Ah, Not the very first word he speaks. But he climbs up on the mountain and he preaches a message called the Sermon on the Mount. Anybody heard of that? The Beatitudes. The first word out of Jesus' mouth, because he's getting ready to change the clock. He's getting ready to turn things from Old Covenant to New Covenant. The Old Covenant last word is cursed. Jesus steps on the scene. Come on, I got a new message for you. And the first word out of his mouth is the word blessed. Come on. Would you rather live in the Old Covenant or would you rather live in the New Covenant? Come on, right? Right, right? Some of you are getting it. Some of you are a little PGA-ish, but that's okay. You'll catch up, all right? Come on now. This is good stuff, everybody. So so he's on the, he's on the mountain. He's preaching the Beatitudes. He's, he, he's preaching this message, and that's where I want to go. I want to look at some things he preached because he's getting ready to turn the corner, but it doesn't look like it at first. So you've got to understand the grace dispensation, it, it starts after the cross, Everything leading up to the cross, Jesus is bringing like new revelation, and people are religious people are having a hard time with it. So let's go to the mountain where he's preaching the Beatitudes, and let's look at it and see what he's doing. Otherwise, it'll be confusing. Jesus is preaching. Could you imagine being in church and hearing this sermon? Watch this. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away we got our elders up here with knives right now. All of you that have been looking at things, come on up here right now. We're going to take care of that sin. How many know this church would be the fastest decreasing church in Mount Vernon? How many know that, right? And then he goes on. He said, well, Ken, you just said that Jesus came to bring grace. What's up with this? Hang on a minute. He says, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for you, your whole body to be thrown into hell. Then he says this, and if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. <laughs> Wow, what is going on here? You said that Jesus showed up to preach this message of grace. Aren't you glad you don't come to church and you don't see anybody living by this law, right? I mean, I don't see any one-eyed people looking at me today. I don't see any amputated people in here. If we live by the law, then we have to live 100% by the law. If we don't do all of the law, then we're sinners. Can you imagine So if Jesus is preaching grace, why is he preaching this? And let me bring you this, I hope this will be a revelation. Jesus is bringing the law back to its perfect standard. He's elevating how hard it is for us to truly find righteousness through the law. Because what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had done, they had brought the law down to the human ability to keep the law, and now they were proud how good of a law keeper they were based on which ones they decided were important and not. Sounds like church, doesn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. They had brought the, they, In other words, they showed up to Jesus very pious. Well, you know, we don't do this, and we don't do that, and we follow the law, and we don't commit adultery. And Jesus said, Aha, let me preach a message on that real quick. Matthew chapter number 5. He says, Oh, so you didn't commit adultery? Okay, but I tell you that anyone who looks on a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. How do you like me now? See, what he's doing is Jesus is using the law to bring the law keepers to an end of themselves. He's trying to break their arrogant, egotistical, pious, prideful. Have you ever met a proud Christian? Mm, If you haven't, maybe you're that one. I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm just messing with you guys. I'm just trying to make sure you're alive. Aren't you glad that Jesus never intended for you to cut off your hand and pluck out your eye, everybody? He's proving that no one can really get to God. Now, as I've already stated, churches will often preach that we're saved by grace. But how many have ever felt a bait and switch? We're saved by grace. But if you're going to be in our circle, you better adhere to these 20 rules. And if you don't, and so what we do is we try to control you. And what we do is we reduce Christianity to, to behavioral modification, working on the outward things through self-discipline rather than being in grace and the Holy Spirit working on us from the inside out. Come on. I had a guy in my church. I shared part of this story Wednesday night. Bear with me if you heard it before. We had a guy in our church in Michigan. We used to go down to this area called Shacktown, and we were rebuilding houses and bussing these families into our home. It was a very poverty stricken neighborhood in the uh, inner city part of Detroit. And we were bussing them over into our church. And, um, and this one family got so fired up. I remember him still. Every Christmas, I still get a little Merry Christmas from him. He got saved. His wife got saved. His two kids got saved. And, and it was wonderful. And we had helped rebuild one of their homes so they had a good place to live. And then they went to our, in my denomination at the time, we have this thing called membership. He went to our membership class. Then our deacon board would interview them to see if they qualified to be uh, uh, members of the church. And you had to not do this, and you had to do this, and you couldn't do this, and you better do this, and all these things. And I met him in the hallway on a Wednesday night when he finished his membership interview with tears in his eyes. He said, Ken, I'll never be back to your church. I love you very much, but I'll never be back. I said, what happened? What's wrong? And this is what he said to me. He said, I've come to the conclusion that it's easier to be a member of heaven than it is to be a member of your church. You know what we were doing back then? We closed our circle and we mixed the gospel and we didn't rightly divide it. Come on, are you hearing that today? Come on, everybody. Now I want you to notice something. i got, I got to hurry. I want you to notice something about the Sermon on the Mount, okay? So if you read Matthew, you start the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gets up and he preaches chapter 5 chapter 6 chapter 7 if you read it all he preaches a total of 110 verses where he's elevating the law's requirement but I want you to see what he does next and I want you to see if you don't see the symbolism here watch this and see if you don't see the transition from the old covenant to the new covenant it's symbolic in everything that's getting ready to happen let's look at it Matthew chapter number 8 when Jesus came down, okay, so he's been up there, and he's elevated. If, you're, if you look at something, pluck out your eye. If your hand causes you to go, he's elevating the law. If you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery. If you're mad at your brother, you've already committed murder. Okay, all he's doing is he's, he's, he's elevating the law so that the law keepers in their piety realize, oh, wait, I thought I had this together. No, I need Jesus. He gets done giving the law from a high place up on a mountain. And I love this word. The Bible didn't have to use these words, but it uses when Jesus came down. Yeah. Woo, come on, is anybody ahead of me yet? Yeah. Yeah. You came from heaven to earth. It's symbolic. He's not just coming down a mountain, down the mountain. He left heaven. He stripped himself of the deity of heaven and came down to the sewer of this sin called earth. Come on, everybody. When Jesus, right after he gives the law, and he sees, oh, they can't keep the law, and he comes down. Oh, man, I want to preach that. He comes down from a mountainside. Large crowds followed him. Watch this. And a man with leprosy came and knelt before him. Notice this. As soon as he comes down the mountain, the first person he meets with is not a guy that's crippled, is not a guy that loses his eyesight. It's a guy with leprosy. Leprosy, what leprosy is to the physical body, uh, that's what sin is to the spiritual body. Anytime you see leprosy in Scripture, it's true, but it's also symbolic of our spiritual condition outside of grace. It's killing us. Come on, it's eating away at our soul. Now I want you to see something. So there it is. Here's a picture of the transition, everybody. Are you guys with me out there? Here's the. Tra- he's, he's in a high place. He's in heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father. He gives the law to show us that we can't be righteous on our own. Then he leaves heaven and he comes down the mountain. And the first person he comes encounter with is sinners. Come on, it's those of us with leprosy. And watch what the man with leprosy does. The man with leprosy, verse 3, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Oh, let me back up. Let me back up. Because he said this, Lord, if you are willing... How many of you are glad Jesus is willing? When he left heaven and came to earth, he said, I'm willing. I'm willing to die for your sin. I'm willing to pay the price that you needed to pay, but you couldn't pay. So I'm going to pray. Aren't you glad? We're sitting here today because Jesus not only answered this man that he's willing, he answered the whole human race that he was willing to die for us so that we no longer had to live under the law, but we could live under grace. Come on now. Woo! Come on, watch this, watch this, watch this. And he says, "I am willing. Thank you, Jesus, that you're willing." And be clean. And immediately he was cleansed from his leprosy. Let me back up though. He knelt before him. Watch what he said to him. He didn't say, "Lord, what laws do I need to keep to get healed?" Oh, I see light bulbs going on. He didn't say, "What church should I become a member of so that I could be healed?" He didn't say, what's the best Christian bumper sticker to put on my car that I could get healed? He didn't say, what is the best Bible translation to read so I'm more spiritual than the other people? Come on. He didn't say any of that. He said, what did he say? Lord. Oh, I think I heard something about that. I think I say this verse every week. I think I repeat Romans chapter number 10, verse number 9. And if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is. Oh, you didn't say it loud enough. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is. That's all there is. He didn't say one thing that if you keep the law. He didn't say one thing about if you do this. He didn't say one thing about if you talk right, act right, dress right. He said, if you call him Lord with your mouth, come on, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Come on and say amen. (laughs) If Jesus hadn't come down off the mountain, he wouldn't have met the man with leprosy. If he hadn't left heaven, he wouldn't have met me and you. And we wouldn't have the opportunity to say, Lord. Mm. Right, everybody? Jesus said, I'm willing. And that's grace. That's grace. Under the law, leprosy makes the clean unclean. But under grace, Jesus makes the unclean clean. That man did nothing for his healing except confess that Jesus is Lord. I don't know what any other church has ever told you. I don't know what anybody else has ever told you. But if you want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's not about what you do, and it's not about taking a bath before you get in the shower. Come on, somebody. It's about declaring that He is Lord. And by the way, grace is unmerited favor. It means you don't earn salvation. Amen on that one? Watch this. Now let me give you a controversial one. Grace is unmerited favor. It means you don't earn salvation neither do you earn blessings because some people will mess up and will refuse to pray because they know they messed up and they're living under the law so they're afraid to ask god to do anything because they're under the law of condemnation rather under the blessing of grace when i mess up i need my daddy more than when i don't mess up can i get an amen on that one right everybody come on now okay i gotta hurry you guys still with me let me give you a scripture verse to prove that real quick um Romans 2, it's God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Some people think that as soon as we mess up, God's mad at us and angry with us and doesn't answer prayer. No, no, that's not rightly dividing the word. That's the left side of the book. But under grace, we're in Jesus. We're in favor. Come on, everybody. He say, yeah, but if you preach that, people will just go out and do whatever they want. No, they won't. When you truly understand the price that Jesus paid for us to live under grace, and he keeps loving you and being kind to you, it changes I have to to I get to because of the kindness of a father, not because of the judgment of a great and mighty judge. Come on, right? Right? That's how it works. All right. And so watch this. Let me take you to two more places. Can you handle it? John chapter number 21. Okay, now we're switching. From old covenant to new covenant, Jesus has died on the cross. He's resurrected, defeated, death, hell, and the grave. Now we're in grace. Because we don't have to be perfect because he came and lived perfect. And we don't have to die because he died. And if we receive his gift, we're covered in him, in grace. Got it? John chapter number 21. Peter, how many of you know Peter messed up pretty bad? He denied Jesus three times, and then when he does this, watch it, this is so important, he says this, he says, he realizes he failed, Jesus died, and and, and, was on the cross, and was buried, and and Peter, and he rose again, and, and Peter is ashamed because he messed up, so in John 21, Peter says something crazy, some of you men can appreciate this, Peter, all this is going on, he denied Jesus, Jesus died, hung on the cross, put in the tomb, rose again, and Peter says, Man, I can't handle it. I'm going fishing. <laughs> it says that. Yeah, men don't try to leverage that verse to tell your wives, I got to go fishing. <laughs> Mark, <laughs> rightly divide the word of God, all right? <laughs> men don't know a single Bible verse, but I got that one. I'm going fishing. I'm, I'm going fishing. I'm, okay, but watch this. Here's what I want you to see Peter is condemned. Peter feels bad. He's messed up. He's denied Jesus. He's living under guilt. He's living under shame. Does anybody know the feeling of messing up and feeling condemnation and shame? Peter has messed up to Jesus who died for him. He feels condemned. He feels guilty and so he says, I'm going fishing. Don't we do the same thing? When you live under the law, you will always have shame and the shame will drive you back to the thing that you're the most comfortable with. You will always go back to the thing that you've been addicted to, the thing that you know your drug of choice come on somebody and that's why under the law you will never be broken free of your addictions and your habits and those things that are destroying your life because shame will always cause you to pick up that fishing pole and go back to the thing that is familiar in your life even though you don't want to oh come on now but watch Peter didn't recognize it was Jesus out there on the seashore. By the way, i got to tell you this. Jesus is on the seashore of Galilee. He's got one foot on the sand and one foot in the water. It's symbolic that he's somewhere between heaven and earth. He's getting ready to ascend. He's still on earth telling his message, but he's getting ready to enter. Oh, I I don't have time for that, All right, But there he is. He's standing there, perfected, defeated, death, hell, and the grave. Peter doesn't recognize him, and then Jesus says something crazy to him. He said, what are you guys doing? Well, we're fishing. See, because the shame will always cause you to go back to what's familiar. Come on, anybody here have been addicted to a drug or or an attitude or anything? Doesn't shame? It doesn't make you feel like coming to the Father. When you mess up, what does it make you do? Oh, I might as well just go all in then. right. Right? Come on, am I right? Wave at me if I'm right about it. Yeah, because we're under the law. We're under condemnation. But when you get a revelation of grace, Jesus is on the seashore. Peter realizes it's him. Come on, you got to read your Bible. The Bible says that Peter jumped out of the boat half naked and ran to Jesus and embraced him. That's the difference between grace and condemnation. Condemnation in the law will make you go fishing. But grace in Jesus removes the condemnation. Now, his his mess-up was still there, but he ran to Jesus. That's why his kindness leads us to repent. Oh, i got to give you one more thing. I forgot almost. John chapter number 21. Jesus shows up. Says, you've been fishing all night. And, and what would you catch? Anybody know? There you go. Come on. There's my Bible scholars. You caught nothing. You caught nothing. In fact, one translation says it this way. It says, you've been toiling. Watch me. You, you can't just listen. you got to watch. You've been toiling all night. Ah. One translation says you've been you you you've been you've been laboring all night. Been laboring. You've been working all night. All your life you've been laboring. All your life you've been working. All your life you've been trying. All your life you've been trying to have a harvest, to have a bounty, to be fruitful. All your life you've been working. All night long you've been working, and it's produced nothing. And it's not that you're a bad fisherman. You're a good law keeper. ah, But you've been working really hard to be righteous, and it's not working. Come on, how many know what I'm saying? And Jesus says something so crazy here. Can I get that? Can I get that verse up there? I, I, do I have the rest of the? Uh, it is, uh, let's see, Jesus, uh, throw your nets on the right side of the boat. What? what? You've been working all night. You've been doing it one way all this time. Watch, watch the symbolism. He just rose from the dead. He just switched from the law to grace. You've been doing this all your life. But now I want you to throw your nets on the right side of the boat. And if you read the rest of that, there was such a bounty of fish that their nets couldn't hold it all. I am here to declare to you that if you'll get a revelation of God's amazing grace and you'll throw your nets, you'll start living your life on the right side, in the grace side, there will be such a harvest in your life. Come on, somebody. When you understand there is nothing you can do to change God's love for you, and when you mess up this week, God still loves you. You don't have to go fishing. You need to jump out. Skip the half-naked part, but jump out and embrace Jesus. Come on and say a good amen to that, right? Okay. One more thing. It's 11 o'clock. I'm going to go five more minutes. Deal with it. All right. Here it is. Check this out. So in John chapter number 11, one of my favorite stories, we know that Lazarus has died and he's in the grave. Anybody know this story? Raise your hand if you know this story. Okay. So it's in John chapter number 11. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. Lazarus dies. Jesus doesn't even do hospital visitation. Can't believe it. You could have prayed over him. He could have been healed. He doesn't do that. And Lazarus dies and Jesus doesn't even come to the funeral. What kind of friend are you? The Bible says that Lazarus has been in the grave for four days. And in fact, his sister say, he stinks. She might have said that before he died too. I don't know. But she said, he stinks. He's been in there for four days. And I want you to see. You know this story. Jesus is getting ready to raise him from the dead, right? When you begin to get a revelation of grace, you will see grace in every story you read. Watch this. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance i wonder how many churches have a stone laid across the entrance hold, hold on let me back up because maybe you don't know this anytime you see the word stone in scripture it's symbolic of what the law, the law. Anytime you see stone, the stone tablets. the stone. Even, even the devil came to Jesus in the desert, remember, and he tempted him. He said, if you be the son of God, then why don't you turn these stones into bread? You say, see, what he was trying to get Jesus to do is be willing to live by the law and get nourishment from the law. It's the same temptation he's putting on all of us still. That's a whole other thing. That was extra too, all right? So watch this. So Jesus shows up. He's getting ready to call Lazarus out of the grave. Come on, this, this is a major miracle, everybody. See, here's the problem. When you grow up in church, you've heard this story so many times, you lose the wow factor. A dead guy, four days, is getting ready to come to life. It's not like it was four hours and maybe he was still alive. Four days, buried in the cave, grave clothes on. If he wasn't dead, he'd be dead after all that. Jesus shows up and says, watch this, I'm getting ready to do something. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise him from the dead. Here's what blows my mind. For just a minute, my mind's messed up because I think of thing's very funny. I'm getting ready to call Lazarus out of the grave. Power! Oh, but could I get some disciples to help me move the stone out of the way? (laughs) Wait a minute. You're getting ready to raise a dead guy up, but you need somebody else to move the rock? What? (laughs) Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance, Jesus says, take away the stone because there's somebody in there that's dead that I want to bring back to life. Now, you didn't hear that. I believe that your friends, your mom, your dad, your aunt, your uncle, your co-worker, they are in a tomb, dead, spiritually dead. And the reason that they can't come to life, he is saying today to his modern church, it is time for my disciples, for my church, to get the stone out of the way, to get the religious rhetoric out of the way, to get the legalism out of the way, to get the piety out of the way, to get the garbage out of the way. some I know we meet in the back of a Mexican restaurant, but let us... move. Move the stone away from the door so those Lazarus can come in here and be resurrected in Christ. I wish somebody would give a shout to the Lord. Come on now. I got to do one thing. I got to do one thing or it's not finished. I got to just do this one little, let me put a bow on the top. Okay, here we go. Here we go, right? Watch this. Then he comes out of the grave. Do I have any more on that? He comes out of the grave. Maybe I don't. There it is. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus come out and he came out. But watch this. Watch this. The dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped in strips of linen and clothes around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So watch this. Jesus did the resurrecting. Only Jesus can do the salvation. But he depended on the disciples. Come on, disciples. To move the law. To move the membership. To move the legalism out of the way. His grace flooded that grave. He came to life, but watch this, that's not the end of the story, because now he's saved, but he's still living in bondage. Yeah. Come on, I'm alive, but somebody help me with this, huh? I'm alive, but I'm, I'm hindered. I really want to have joy. I really want to have peace. I feel like an idiot up here, right? I'm alive, but I'm still in bondage. The good news is they're on their way to heaven. They've been born again because we've removed the stone, but now we got to take it a step further. It's not enough just to help them know God. Now we've got to help them find freedom and begin to unravel the bondages uh, and the addictions uh, and the things that are keeping them from all that God wants them to be. Come on now. All right, got to stop right there. i got too much. Would you stand with me? i just got to stop. If you don't stand, I'll keep on going.